So welcome to another DDA Encouraging Abilities podcast. I'm your host, DDA Communications Manager, Evan Kelly. Today we're joined by Spencer Van Vlotten. Now Spencer is a very well-known and outspoken member of the disability community. He's the uh, editor of bcdisability.com, the chair of Community Living BC in the Vancouver Council. He's a nationally published writer and advocate who has written or talked, rallied about countless issues that affect the disability community here and abroad. He is passionate about community living and social policy. He has been awarded the Medal of Good Citizenship by the province of BC, the City of Vancouver Excellence Award, as well as being named Rick Hansen Foundation Difference Maker of the Year. Not to mention, not to mention he's very active online on Twitter where we often connect. So thanks for joining us today, Spencer. Really nice to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Evan. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. And I have to, I have to add that it's, you know, in, in the days of post-COVID, it's nice to have have someone in the studio for the first time utilizing the equipment that we have here. So that's, Absolutely. So uh, right off the top, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, why, why are you such an advocate in the disability community? Well, I'm from Vancouver, and uh, I also spent some time in Langley growing up. Uh, I first became interested in advocacy uh, as a kid. Uh, I have a cousin with cerebral palsy. Uh, who was a few years older than me, and so I saw growing up the barriers they faced, uh, and that led me to want to work within the disability field when I got older. Um, and so I've done that with organizations like uh, Easter Seals and Community Living BC. Uh, as I grew up, I also began to notice more of the interconnections between issues. So. Uh, that disability justice isn't just about disability, but it also involves issues like uh, housing and poverty reduction. Uh, housing also involves issues like uh, mental health. Um, and so I became very interested in the way so many things in our society and so many of the outcomes we want to see are linked. Um, and so that led to a sort of general issue in community affairs, uh, and at the moment, uh, as you mentioned, I run bcdisability.com. I also run umebc.ca. Uh, I love writing on a range of different policy issues out there. Um, and yeah, I just have a passion for inclusive communities, and I hope that's reflected in my work. And uh, your own education, has that gone into that route as well? Oh, absolutely. So I studied, well, in university, I studied uh, political science. Um, I was particularly interested in how to use, you know, uh, advocacy within political channels to to achieve the outcomes we want to see, uh, and that's become a big focus of my work. And I think I think ultimately, you know, a lot of the uh, things that advocates are pushing for um, are ultimately achieved through political ends. We want our policymakers and our lawmakers to, you know, enact a uh, a certain bill that will bring into effect the Canada Disability Benefit or more support for, you know, youth with Down syndrome. Uh, and so my studies of political science are really linked to uh, what I do now. I also studied uh, sort of general studies in uh, issues of equity um, and how to create inclusive communities. And so I'm really pleased that I was able to actually uh, study in an area uh, that I not only had a great interest in, but I've been able to work in as well. Because, you know, so many people, they do their studies in university and they go off and, you know, they happen to get a good job, but it's not related at all to what they studied. And so thankfully I've been able to incorporate my education with my work. 
that's that's good i mean that's 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 reaching the goal now yep. just sort of jumping right into policy and things i mean there's a lot of things going on in vancouver right now there's a lot of housing issues there's um uh you know substance abuse issues there's um how are we doing in terms of in in those fields in your mind in terms of like even accessibility mm -hmm. well on accessibility uh i think we're thinking more about accessibility lately, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, we had our first ever, ever uh, provincial accessibility legislation brought in just uh, not too long ago. The city of Vancouver uh, has been working on its accessibility strategy uh, and is about to go through phase two of the consultations for that. Yeah, we're involved in yeah, that as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I know that that process has been uh, um, there's been great uh, involvement and consultation with the, the disability community in that. Um, so that's good. We're definitely thinking about accessibility. Uh, and I think it's gone beyond just, you know, physical spaces, but also thinking more about uh, technology, information, education, and attitudes. And I actually uh, spoke recently with a Japanese uh, accessibility scholar, uh, Maiko Sugawara, and uh, she was so impressed when she came here with just how, I guess, um, just the attitudes here and the support, mm. the general support for people uh, with disabilities. But that said, um, that's that's a good of it. Um, the problem is that you know people with disabilities, whether they be uh, physical, developmental, or both, are still facing a lot of barriers. Um, and I know actually of cases. Um, with some well-known disability organizations, not the DDA, but where uh, they actually themselves uh, had issues with accessibility in their buildings. And so you can see even, uh, you know, organizations that do great work for people with disabilities have accessibility issues. Mm -hmm. um, when I think, when people think about accessibility these days, it's still not automatic. It's still not embedded in just our thought process. It's kind of more of an afterthought, something we have to will ourselves to think about. Um, and we're doing that, and that's a start, but I think we need to um, take that to another level, uh, or else we're just going to keep overlooking things. Well, so. yeah, absolutely, and it's the, you know, the, the one sort of concept, uh, you know, we're trying to push and other organizations, associations are trying to push, even uh, developers, is this idea of universal code rather than getting something to a building code, which can make something somewhat accessible it might have a ramp or something like that but if let's say you go up to the 13th floor or whatever and there's a fire there's nothing in that code that shows how to get someone in a wheelchair necessarily out of that building yeah. you know so it's just it's still somewhat when you so when we when we build something to code it doesn't mean it's accessible exactly. for everybody and we really need to to include uh, the disability community to understand so that the developers the builders policymakers understand that um, things have to be done with their specific input. Yeah, and you know, uh, when we make things accessible, it's not just helping people with disabilities, it's helping, you know, mothers who may be pregnant or may have to, you know, have a stroller they're pushing around, it's helping seniors. Uh, really everyone benefits. There's no one who uh, is worse off because of greater accessibility, and so, um, yeah, there still needs to be uh, greater progress in the practical side of things. And, uh, you know, I think things are in the right direction, but there's still many steps to be taken. 
and you know it doesn't even have to cost that much to make something more accessible you know putting in putting in a a, a door handle that that is that is a lever rather than than a knob mm-hmm. makes that Absolutely. easier for people to access so yeah. So you recently wrote about how we're falling short of adequate support for children with Down syndrome. How can individuals and organizations like DDA push for better support and resources for British Columbians with developmental disabilities like Down syndrome? Well, I think it's, you know, there's the phrase, squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I think that's often very true when it comes to advocacy. Um, It's crucial to apply constant pressure on the people who make decisions over the re- who gets what resources. Um, so it's, it's important that we are always raising our voices, um, whether that's, um, you know, through social media, through talking to friends and family, through organizing campaigns, through, uh, you know, donating to uh, an advocacy group that we think does good work. Uh, there needs to be constant ongoing pressure, and it's, key, it's so important that this is is consistent and that it doesn't stop because if you you can put all the pressure on government but then if you let up they realize that they just have to hold out and kind of uh, um, weather the storm for a bit and then uh, you know the thing the thing the case that I want to look at as a good example is you look at the decision the government had regarding the uh, the hubs for uh, children uh, you know, with, uh, you know, complex needs. Um, they were going to move to this hub model, but then the, I, mostly the, the autism community yeah, uh, and a lot of, back. yeah, there was so much pushback and they organized so well and they just, they kept their voices up. They were doing rallies and having events. They were in the media, writing letters to editors. They were making appointments with their MLA and they just they did not let up and eventually the government decided to uh, not go forward with this plan or to put a pause on it and that's an example of effective advocacy Um, but it's intense uh, it's consistent and it's uh, working across multiple channels and ultimately as well a key part of that is uh, working together and cooperating with uh, like-minded advocates. You know, we can do so much more together than we can when we're fractured, and I think um, that's a crucial element as well. So I just, yeah, saying to anyone out there who wants to advocate more for people with developmental disabilities, you know, raise awareness, educate people, uh, get involved, and don't give up because change, it might not happen overnight, but the more you persist, the better the chance that, you know, you get what you're looking for. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you're right. I mean, the, the way the government sort of backed down on that plan a little bit, I think they're moving still forward on some of it, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it might have, it came right down when David Eby took over as well, so mm-hmm. I think that might have helped their cause a little bit. Yeah, it was It was also, the timing was a bit uh, fortuitous, I guess, because David E. became into power and he had the chance to frame this as, you know, a fresh start. Uh, and it's easier to, to, to change a policy if you're coming in new than if you were there when it was brought in and have to admit that it wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But still, I think the advocacy was an important part of, uh, you know, getting the government to, uh, to make those, uh, to put Put, put a hold on it for now. Yeah. Now, from your perspective, how does BC stack up compared to other provinces in terms of disability support? How are we doing? Well, from a financial perspective, um, it's important to note at the outset that pretty much 
all the provinces are doing terrible. Um, Northwest Territories uh, is the only province or territory that uh, pays over 2000 a month in provincial disability uh, support. I believe uh, Yukon is next with around 1700 and it just keeps going down from there. Mm -hmm. I believe overall BC has about like the fourth highest provincial disability rate, which sounds good, but it's still far below the poverty line. And as a percentage of income, uh, people with disabilities in BC only make about 70% of what people without disabilities in BC makes, which is below the national average. Um, so I don't think we're doing that good. Uh, we also need a lot more support for uh, adults with complex uh, needs to live independently in their communities. We have the CECL program, which could be such a powerful program and could do this, but it's been left to let to run dry. Uh, we don't support uh, youth with Down syndrome like we should. And you know what frustrates me is that so much of the decision to keep certain policies in place is just simply based on what other provinces do. So, for example, I, when I talked with the previous Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction uh, regarding the issue of clawing back someone's uh, support because of what their spouse makes, mm -hmm. um, it was basically intimated to me that, well, all the other provinces have the same policy too, therefore it's okay and we're going to keep doing it. The thing is, often all other provinces have poor policies as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And we really need to step up. BC needs to be bolder and take the lead on a lot of these disability issues. Uh, if you look recently, BC decided to make pres uh, prescription contraception free. Uh, I believe it was the first province in Canada to do so. And about a week after, Manitoba then announced they're going to follow up with legislation to do the same. And so it sets up a domino effect when one province steps up and take the lead, takes the lead. So BC right now isn't doing that. It needs to do that mm -hmm. um, because you know so many people here with disabilities are f falling behind. And it's not it, it's not just because they need money. I mean the cost of living here is cost is, of living is crazy um, just like Vancouver for example uh, you know it can cost over three thousand dollars for a two-bedroom apartment our housing market in Vancouver uh, the price which was already the prices were already very high and yet they've gone up twice the national average over the last year or so the what I really want to see as well I was focusing on provincial disability rates but another important element uh, when it comes to making housing affordable and accessible for people with disabilities is more federal government support. The federal government used to, prior to the 1990s, used to uh, do far more to build uh, social housing uh, and low-cost housing uh, in Canada. And then the 1990s came and that, uh, that really dropped off. And as a result, we have a major housing shortage here in BC. Mm -hmm. Uh, the housing shortage is even greater for people with disabilities because, you know, a lot of the tiny amount of what is available isn't accessible. Um, so that needs to change. And, um, you know, I really think, you know, I could, if someone could frame it and say, well, BC does better than other provinces, but uh, I think we need to look at it as BC and other provinces, the other provinces don't do it well at all. And so, uh, there's so much to advocate for here in BC, um, and that's why, uh, you know, that's why the advocacy community is very, very active here. 
and I think uh, a lot of the general public don't quite understand. Like, it's not just we're not just talking about a cost of living for the disability community because there are so many more expenses to being disabled. Yeah, you might need you know accessible technology. I was talking to one of the VPs at the Rick Hansen Foundation, mm -hmm. um, and his wheelchair is thirty-eight thousand dollars. Yeah, like, and that that's a car. Exactly. You know, and not uh, to mention if he's going to get a car, it's got to be something that's like lift equipped. It's got to be something that he's got to be able to get into and, and drive. Yeah. Uh, I know someone who uh, they have a specialized chair. They have cerebral palsy. Uh, their chair um, basically broke down and they need uh, $10,000 to repair it. That's not uh, something that, you know, you're facing if you don't have a disability. There's ex all sorts of expenses like that. Um, so you you face greater you know greater expenses, lower income, trying to do this while living in, you know, some of the most expensive cities in the world in the world, and it's 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 a tough road. Yeah, that's 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 pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're talking. We can switch that to Bill C twenty two, which I think yeah. is in its third reading in the Senate or something. Yeah, like it's that in today, the Senate. Um, that might be a good thing. I, I don't. They haven't really gotten down to many of the details in terms of um, you know what that benefit is going to look like yeah. I don't know what you've heard so yeah bill c-22 is enabling legislation so it basically will set out a framework from which they can fill in the details uh, so there's there's limited information out there in terms of uh, what we know about what it will look like uh, there's some important elements that I think absolutely must be part of it though uh, it must be uh, something that people can receive whether they're on provincial or federal disability assistance. It shouldn't matter which one they're on. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be something that it should it should be a, a meaningful amount of money, not a piddly like uh, fifty dollars extra a month. Not to say that couldn't help, but it should be uh, I think um, at least a few hundred. I mean, during the pandemic, I think the three hundred dollars extra that some people with disabilities received each month it did make a difference and three hundred dollars back then is about 350 to 400 now so i hope mm -hmm. it's at least that much uh so at least it needs to at least be a meaningful amount of money uh and it needs to also not be uh an administratively burdensome benefits to access um, because you know navigating government systems and all the paperwork and what you need to do to get this benefit or that can be can be a hassle so those are three elements I really think are needed when they start to flesh out the details. And absolutely, I cannot stress enough that provinces should not claw any of this back from provincial disability assistance. Yeah. We see that far too often. Uh, someone's found a way to get a bit more money and the province will just knock it off whatever else they're already getting. And it, it just sets people who are already struggling even further back. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's all come, comes down to the support, and when people have those supports in place, they can live and they can contribute. So that's really, really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, made. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about this. Yeah. This is a very, very touchy subject. I, um, yeah, I, um, I'll talk about made for sure. You know, I've actually written a lot about made and interviewed uh, several people who have pursued made. Uh, and, you know, made, made does have a place in. I think so too. It does have a place for sure in very specific circumstances. Um, there are cases where people uh, simply have, they suffer tremendously and they have no option left to improve their life. Uh, 
that is a case where you look at um, you know where you look at might consider made and you might say that that's acceptable if someone pursues that um, the thing is though the problem is that we are often enabling people to kill themselves and uh, doing more to help people kill themselves than we are to help them get the support they need to live happy healthy lives so um, you know we need bolder faster action to address poverty we need greater programs uh, which help people with complex disabilities live in their communities uh, we need more <laughs> affordable housing um, and we need to be able to look at ourselves and say you know have we done everything we can to help this person live a good life um, because if if we haven't then you know too many people out there are going to pursue MAID uh, when they're really dying of poverty and not because mm -hmm. they have some incurable, uh, intractable pain or illness yeah. that they're suffering from. And so I've talked to people who like um, uh, Madeline and Scarlet Rose, I've done stories about them who there's treatments out there that could help them, you know, live good lives, but they just don't have the, the resources to afford it. And this is when made you know becomes troublesome because you get people like them who are then applying for made because it's really the only thing out there for them um so that's a bit of the issue i have with it we we i think when we have legislation like made and when we have medical uh when we have you know assisted suicide we need to ensure that we've done all we can to help people live good lives before we make that an option for them mm -hmm. and so i don't think that's happening yet um and uh, yeah, it is a contentious issue for sure. Um, but uh, I know a lot of people will have different opinions on that, but uh, I really think that it comes down to doing more to help people live good lives. Absolutely, and it, it, what I'm seeing is, you know, I sort of dig into the issue of medical assistance and dying is, is some of the optics, because I'll, I'll read a story from the BBC or, mm -hmm. some, or something that's overseas, and the headlines are literally Canada is killing poor people. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like they're they're saying that Canada has got eugenics back in place. Yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, there's lots of, you know, Canada's uh, Canada's getting a bit of a reputation from that and this idea that we are or you know Justin Trudeau kills kills disabled people. Uh, you know, that's obviously they they exaggerate for the headlines. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more to the story. Um, but you know, I have talked with with many disabled people who who do see it as eugenics, um, and uh, because you know, if if the government hasn't helped them get the the treatment they need or help them, uh, you know, find um, affordable housing, but they are helping them kill themselves. Well, I mean, it's totally understandable how someone would not feel good about the government in that situation. Um, so it's difficult because you have to balance the fact that MAID does have a place in certain cases with the fact that in other cases it can be a dangerous thing because people out there could still live good lives just if they had the support they need and they don't at the moment. So um, yeah, and Canada's reputation I think has taken a hit uh, as a result. Now what do you think about I mean, we were, we were talking a lot about accessibility and, and, you know, finances and how, like, maybe throwing money at problems helps them go away. I think it does to a degree, but 
we're still at the same time dealing with other prevailing attitudes when it comes to disabilities or developmental yeah. disabilities. How do we how do we foster a, 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 that, that positivity or that yeah. change within the community at large? Well, I think education is such a big thing for one. Um, I've in like the COBC Community Council that uh, you know I'm involved with. We hold and have held community events where we've invited. Uh, policymakers, local MLAs and counselors and MPs and you know several of them have come and they haven't had any idea that the community living movement exists they haven't had any idea about the issues affecting people with developmental disabilities they never really had any interaction before with people with developmental disabilities I think the biggest key to changing attitudes is educating people and also having having just coming together as a community having events you know celebrate uh, community inclusion and where people with disabilities uh, and people without disabilities are interacting uh, and then you see you know this person may have down syndrome but they're still funny uh, and they're great to be around they're a kind person they have wants and needs and goals and wishes they have strengths and weaknesses uh, when you don't have that type of direct interaction I think people are more likely just to see people based on their disability and just to think oh that's a disabled person that's not like Kevin and Kevin who loves watching you know uh, Marvel movies and stuff uh, so I think education is key uh, just community involvement and inclusion is key as part of that too um, because it's true you know money can do a lot but it can only do so much um, and I think we need to um, really do more to get people together in the same room uh, and to to bring people together um, and that's that's something that changed my life too when I was younger you know just having that interaction with my my cousin you know I saw him just as my cousin first and not you know the disabled guy the guy in the wheelchair who everyone else saw um, and so I think that is something I'd really emphasize. Yeah, and that, and, and you know, to your point, I haven't been working for DDA forever, mm -hmm. and I, I don't have a lived experience when it comes to disability. So, mm -hmm. after being here for a few years, it's it, you know, it, it is that attitude of they're not the disability; they're people before that. I you know, and I, I've taken a hundred clients to a Whitecaps game, and they're having an amazing time. Exactly. And just, you know, we, we when when the elections are here, we get them out voting. They yeah. understand the issues. They know what bothers them. They know what uh, what needs to change. Yeah, and you know, there's so many ways people can be similar and ways they can be different. Disability is just one way. You know, different disabilities is just one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this person may have a disability, and I might not have a disability. But look, we're both interested in the same movies, the same sports. We have a similar sense of humor. It far outweighs the fact that you know. Um, one person might have a disability and the other doesn't and I think we read we really need to get past while still acknowledging you know that um, disability does change someone's experience in society we really need to try to do our best to, to move beyond that and uh, just to see people as humans and absolutely and it doesn't you know having a disability it doesn't have to limit exactly your life yeah um, getting close to the end here I'm, I'm kind of curious you have a you seem to have a uh, totally switching gears. You've yeah, got, yeah. you got a keen interest in World War II, I guess. Mm -hmm. You wrote a piece about Vimy Ridge. Yeah. Now, why did you write that piece? Well, you know, I've always had a general interest in war, particularly the, you know, down in the trenches, 
combat aspect of it. And it's not because I'm some sort of uh, lover of violence. It's actually because I'm very interested in the ways that people can persevere and work together to overcome the most extreme you know, experiences and the most extreme circumstances that you could possibly find yourself in. So with a situation like Vimy Ridge, you had, um, you know, people from different areas of Canada, never met each other before, uh, forced into, uh, you know, the most pressing, challenging situation you could really find yourself in. And that they found a way to persevere uh, and to succeed in the face of great adversity. And I look at that as an example of, um, you know, around the time when I wrote that piece on Vimy Ridge, Canada was going through a period where there was a lot of division and a lot of talk about how polarized we were becoming. And yet I look at an example of Vinny, like Vimy Ridge and it shows that when we come together and work together, uh, you know, our ability to, to thrive off one another and to succeed as a team far outweighs any differences we have. And so applying that to advocacy, you know, I, I really always believe that we are more powerful together. And that's why, you know, I try to collaborate with everyone I can. I try to be supportive of everyone out there. And I just really encourage people, you know, work together, um, don't be divisive, we're in this together and are stronger together. And I just look at Vimy Ridge as an example of that and uh, something we can learn a lesson from even all these years later. I think that's that's well said. <laughs> yeah. what, what more do you need, need yeah. to say? Uh, anything else to add today about uh, disabilities in um, general and advocacy? And I just want to I just want to really stress the uh, the need if you're going to be an advocate, um, you know, and you're feeling intimidated at the idea of going to talk to an MLA or you know writing a, a letter to to someone or being part of a campaign you know it can just start with speaking up to your family and friends it can start with speaking out to your colleagues or telling your uh, you know telling them about an issue and that you know people with developmental disabilities uh, you know are still included are still uh, excluded in a lot of ways in BC it doesn't have to be some grand thing um, and just you know persist because when we when we keep the pressure on that's when we make the biggest difference uh, and just one more thing I want to say and I know DDA is involved with this too to the listeners in Vancouver um, the second phase of the city's accessibility consultations uh, will be held in May I think it's May 27th or so um, but uh, if that's something you're interested in participating in it's another way you can be an advocate so uh, if you look online there will be more information about that soon and uh, i encourage you to participate and you can also just you know be a keyboard warrior how do people find you exactly online? yeah be a keyboard warrior go to if you want to check uh my if you want to see examples of what i've written you can go to spencerv.ca uh you can also go to spencer van city on twitter uh, and you can also, if you don't have a Twitter or an Instagram or Facebook, think of starting one and think of speaking out about the issues you care about because your opinion does matter and it can uh, influence, you know, what happens. So speak out um, and, uh, you know, make yourself known. Your opinion counts. And I think, uh, you know, just one final point, which mm -hmm. I've made this point on many podcasts, is that we're, we're, we're not really just speaking necessarily for the disability community we're speaking for everyone because at some point in our lives whether cognitive or physical we're going to need assistance we're going to need a support and we might need that funding or policy 
uh, in place. Exactly. This is for everybody. Exactly. It's for everyone. And uh, inclusion benefits everyone. Accessibility benefits everyone. No one loses because of this. And uh, that's why I think it's so important, even if you don't have a disability, to, to be an ally and to uh, you know support greater community inclusion. Absolutely. You have been listening to DDA's Encouraging Abilities podcast. Our guest today has been Spencer Van Vlotten, as you can see, is a, uh, a great and outspoken advocate for the disability community. Spencer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Evan.